right, well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome, Connect. It's good to see you. It's good to be in the house of worship this morning, isn't it? We want to welcome you. We want to welcome those that are joining us uh, from our other campuses, online, wherever you're watching us from today. Welcome. We're glad to have you. Those from Tri-County TC campus, welcome. And then my Fram fam in Framingham. Uh, keep my seat warm for me. I'll be back there next week, Lord willing. But uh, so good to uh, welcome all of you and all of you that are here in the room this morning. As was mentioned, I am Pastor Steve. And uh, I tell you what, it is an honor, an honor to be here this morning and to share with you as we look into the Word of God. And I don't take this lightly. It's amazingly, it's been eight months since we arrived from Northeast Ohio to uh, connect, and it has been an incredible eight months. I tell you, I have enjoyed so much the work that I do, the people I'm with, and, and it's so good my first time up here that, to know that you don't bite, you know, you look friendly and all that kind of stuff, and, uh, to, and, and to work with an incredible staff. I don't know if you know the, the, the incredible staff we have here at Connect, but they are hardworking, dedicated, passionate. And it starts from the top, from Pastor Derek and Pastor Stacy all the way through. And I get to work with them every day. And, and you know what? They love the Lord and they love you. And that's what counts. And, and they also they're young and they keep me young. So that's always good to be around young folks, you know, and catch a little bit of what they have. And that's, that's so exciting. But as you heard me say, I am the director of finance and administration. But I got good news for you this morning. You ready for some good news? Want good news? Good news is I'm not talking about money. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, woof, yeah, woof, yeah, yeah, relax, relax. <laughs> We're not talking about money this morning. But we are in the second of our two-part series, a little short series on the sacraments of the church, which we call Extraordinary Graces. And last week, Pastor Chris did such an excellent job of leading us down that path of what it is to become a born-again believer in Christ, becoming part of the family of God and, and, and trusting in Him. And then that next step of going under the waters of baptism, publicly proclaiming what God has done for us, that we are His and He is mine, and that we do that. And so it's, that was so neat. And wasn't last Sunday night an incredible service for those who were there? Wow, we had 37 people baptized. And that was, that was just the Lord doing a great work, and it was so exciting to be part of that. So today I'm covering the second of the sacraments of the church, and that is communion. And uh, <laughs> there's a lot to cover. So uh, the clock is the enemy today, so we're going to get going. Are you ready? Yeah, say I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, well, let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for this opportunity. Lord, be our teacher today. Holy Spirit, come and illuminate our minds and teach us what you have for us. And Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, brother. Well, um, it was uh, September, October, fall of 1977, actually. 1977, I was a freshman at Malone College, Malone University in Canton, Ohio. Tells you how old I am. Old geezer. Yeah, I know. Yeah. 1977, I was walking that evening into a, uh, a hall, Osborne Hall, for a meal and a, and a service, a, a special event. And I walked in and I saw, I noticed there were tables, there were round tables everywhere. And so we were to grab a table and sit down and with friends. And so I was with some friends, and we sat down at a table. And, 
And uh, as I sat down or was getting ready to sit down, I saw in the middle of that table was this plate, and it had a napkin over it. I said, I bet I know what that is. So I, I walked over to that plate, and I, and I picked up that napkin, and to my horror, it was what I thought it was. It was juice, and it was bread. I, went and I, I didn't know whether to, to run out. I didn't know whether to call the campus security or what. Because, and, and unlike probably many of you, I grew up in a church that we did not practice the sacraments. In fact, my church that I grew up in was an, was an evangelical church. It's the Evangelical Friends Church. But if you know anything about evangelical friends, it has its roots in Quakers. And the Quakers are one of the few that in its history rejected the outward sacraments in favor of an inward experience. And I don't have time to get into all the details and, and everything. And I'll just say, in, in general, it was in a reaction, maybe an overreaction, to abuses they saw when they started in the 1600s. They saw the abuses of, of going and taking communion on Sunday and then walking out, even the, even the clergy, and living like the devil the rest of the week. And so, and so it was rejected. And so by the 60s and 70s, our church did it maybe once a year, but we kind of did it in secret, you know, and when, when no one... You know, if only the people who really wanted it would show up. And so I had never taken communion. And so here I am. It is, I'm a freshman on campus. I'm at this meal. And have you ever been in this situation where you know something's going to happen? And you're not sure whether you're to participate or not? You know, and I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sitting there, do I or don't I? I'm trying to have conversations with people. I'm trying to eat my meal. But the whole time my stomach is churning. Do I or don't I? And we went through, and it was, a, it was a wonderful evening, but it kept gnawing at me, do I or don't I? Well, I tell you what, that day I made a commitment that I was going to study, and I was going to learn for myself, and I was going to understand what it is when we take communion. What it is, what happens, what's going on here, and then the bigger question is, what am I going to do about it? And that's the question for me, for you today here, and what we're going to do. I'm going to take you a little bit through the journey I went through of learning what communion is about. But then the bigger question is, what am I going to do about it, okay? Are you ready for that? Okay, well, when I started my journey, I started where, the, where really the journey starts and ends, right? And that's in God's Word. So in, actually in the Bibles, we see this institution of the instituting of the communion sacrament in four different places. We see it in Matthew and Mark and Luke, and then we see it again in 1 Corinthians when Paul talks about what he's learned and what he's been given about communion. And so uh, this morning, we're going to start and take your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you. If not, uh, on your phones, I'm, if, if I'm off this morning, if I seem off, it's because I'm suffering from uh, separation anxiety. I left my phone at home. <laughs> this, is, this is the longest we've been apart. In a, in a long time. So uh, but maybe it's on your phone or it'll be on the screen too. And we're going to read through here. And we're going to read Matthew's version, uh, Matthew 26, the first, the first book in the New Testament. And so we're going to start there. And we're going to see exactly what, what we may find out about this thing called, that we call today, communion. Okay? It starts off like this in verse 17 of Matthew 26. It says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. 
And then it goes on to say in verse 19, so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. So this is the event called Passover. Can everybody say Passover? Passover, yes. You see, um, this is where Jesus instituted this new thing that we are calling communion. But even though it's a new thing, even though it's something that he is, he, is, he is changing, we see that it has its roots deeply in Jewish history and tradition, and which means it has its roots in biblical history and tradition. You see, when, when Jesus would meet from the Passover, and we see here in the Scripture, it says two things. It says fast Passover, and it says the festival of unleavened bread. These were two separate celebrations. The Passover usually would, would begin on the 14th of the first month of the Jewish year, and it would end on the 15th. It was a one-day celebration, followed by a seven-day celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, even in Jesus' time, and even especially today, you usually see these kind of lumped together as Passover. In fact, if you go to go on the online and start looking up Jewish calendars for holidays, it usually will say Passover for an eight-day celebration that comes in the first month of that of their year. And so Jesus is here, and it is he's celebrating the beginning of Passover, the beginning of the festival of unleavened bread, and this is a time where they would take time to remember. It was a, it was an occasion, a celebration of remembering what God had done. And they would tell the story of what God had done. And if you remember the story, they would tell it, and they would tell it to their children. They would say, this was a time when we as a people were living in slavery. We were bound in Egypt. We were, we were not free people. We were crying out for freedom. And God sent a deliverer. God sent Moses. And Moses came and he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh, we know, did not let him go. And so God sent plague after plague after plague after plague. But instead of softening Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Finally, the tenth plague, God said to Moses, here's what, you're gonna, here's what I'm going to do. At midnight, I'm going to pass through the land. When I pass through the land, every Egyptian family the eldest son, the firstborn son, from Pharaoh all the way down to the lowest slave girl. Even the firstborn of the cattle are going to die. There will be misery. There will be wailing. There will be crying out. But the Israelites, you will be protected if you do what I say. And so he said, here's what you're to do. You're to take a goat and a lamb that afternoon. The afternoon of Passover, you're going to take a goat and a lamb. You're going to kill it. And once you kill it, you take its blood. You take the blood and you put it on the doorpost, the sides and the tops of the doorpost. And when I see that blood, I will pass over your place. I will pass over your house and there will not be death. Yes, amen. He said, I will pass over. And you know what? God said it. God did it. And that night he came through and, he, and there was much willing. He had warned them, it's going to be bad. It's going to be ugly. But you be ready. You, you have this meal, you eat that lamb, you have the meal, you're packed up, you're ready to go because when Pharaoh finds this out, they're going to they're gonna say, get out of here and you're going to go. And so that happened and they were no longer slaves, they were free people. And they left and they were free and they were able to worship God as they pleased. And so this memory, the story they would tell over and over again, they would tell how God delivered them, how God miraculously protected them, how the blood of the lamb saved them, how the blood of the lamb protected them. 
And they would tell this story, and, 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 and it was, so Jesus says, we're going to do this. And it was Jesus' practice to do it, as it was all Jews' practice to do this. And they came together, and so it says they went and they prepared the Passover. And this was an elaborate preparation. And if you ever get a chance, we don't have time today to go into this, the, the, how a Passover and a Seder meal works. It's so, so meaningful. But they would do all these things to remember what God had done. And it says they prepared. And I know what it, I'm finding out what it takes to prepare a meal. I, I, you know, I haven't been much of a kitchen person. In fact, I'm more of a menace, a hindrance, and a help in the kitchen. But my wife, she, she, had, she had rotator cuff surgery two weeks ago. And so to eat, I've had to fend for myself and fend for her. And I've had to learn how to prepare and everything that goes into preparation. And it doesn't come easy. And, and, I, and, and with what, everything they had to do, the preparation had to take place. They come together, and, they, and, they're, and they're, they're so busy. You know, if you read John, the book of John, they even forgot some crucial things like washing the feet of each, of each other. And so Jesus did that. But, but they, they start, and they go through, and they're, they're going through the meal, and they're going through the traditional teachings that Jesus would have led about how Moses led the, the, the people out of Israel through the working of God and how the lamb was slain. As they're progressing through the meal, though, they get to a point, and if, by, by looking at Luke and what Paul has to say, probably after the main meal, Jesus is talking, and instead of following script, he gives a twist. He gives a twist. And we're going to jump down for time's sake to verse 26. Verse 26 of what's in Matthew 26. It says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Paul adds this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I had to ask, and we have to ask, what's going on here? What's going on here, and what are we going to do about it? Well, it's clear to us 2,000 years later, anyhow, what Jesus is talking about. We know the sacrifice he was going to make in just a few hours. We know the forgiveness of sins and the victory that was going to be claimed on the cross. And we look back here, and we see this beautiful picture of Jesus repurposing the Passover. And saying, you remembered it as an event in the past. You know, there was only one real Passover. The real Passover happened 1,500 years or so earlier. They just celebrated it and remembered it. He said, there's going to be another event. There's going to be another event where it is going to be this time me. I am going to be the lamb. I'm going to be the one that was prophesied in Isaiah 52 and 53, that lamb who was led to slaughter. That is going to be me, and that's going to be my body, and that's going to be my blood you see, and I'm going to do it for you. <laughs> Moses and the Egyptians and the Israelites did it for them, for their children. God is doing it for you and for me. 
He's done it for you and you and you and you and you, you and TC, you and Framingham, you online. He did it for us. And when we do it now and we celebrate, we're remembering that event that took place. It's like there's, there's only one crucifixion. There's only one sacrifice. You know, as Americans, we celebrate July 4th, but there's only one July 4th, 1776. It was Independence Day. It was, it, it was the day that the Declaration of Independence was signed, but there was only one time where Jesus Christ gave once and for all. And he says, this is it. I'm going to give my blood for you. And this wasn't actually new. You know, I can, a lot of times I'm sitting around thinking, wow, I would have been confused if I was in this room. What do you mean? But actually, if you go back and you read some of the other scriptures in John chapter 6, Jesus has had this discussion before. He told him, I'm the bread of life. And he said, actually, he said in that passage, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have eternal life. That's what he said. And it said that a lot of people, this was too difficult of a teaching for him. And they turned away. And they said, I can't handle that. That's too gross. <laughs> that's, that's too, I, I, that is weird stuff. And Jesus says, but unless you do it, you cannot have eternal life. You have to eat. You have to drink. You have to come to me. And so he's saying, when you do this in the future, remember me. Remember what I've done. Remember my sacrifice. Remember my pain. Remember, remember all the suffering I went through for you and you. And so, in conclusion, as I've looked at this in other scriptures, I came, I came to this point, and hopefully we'll have it on the screen here, regarding communion. The intent is clear, but the specifics are not. Okay? The intent is clear, but the specifics are not. You know, the intent is that we remember what Jesus did for us. We recall, we appreciate, and we participate with him in that. But as I looked through Scripture, when I started looking at this and wondering, well, why do they do it this way? And why do they do it this way? And why do they call it that? And why do they call it this? The Scriptures really aren't clear on any of the, many of the details, anyhow, of how we do it. And so this morning, for the next few minutes, we're going to go through some of these particulars really quick. But in the end, how much do they really matter? Okay? They don't matter that much. Such things as what do you call it? What do you call? What do you call this thing? We, well, we've been calling it communion today, right? Well, that communion comes out of 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Uh, there's a word there that is used uh, in, in the scriptures in many places called koinonia. It's a, it's a Greek word. And in the King James Version and some of your older versions, the New American Standard and others, as it's translated, communion. And so King James Version was a popular version, of course, for many, many, many years. And so we've adopted that language many times, communion. But that communion is a special word. Koinonia is, is a word of fellowship and kinship and sharing. It's an intimate word. It's a word that, that uh, it, it isn't a casual relationship. It's an intimate relationship. We see that same word used for fellowship in chapter 2 of Acts, when the church is coming together for the first time. After the, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, and they're gathering together, they're all one, they're taking part, they're sharing, they're doing everything, they're, they're, they're in koinonia with each other. And so we use this word because we are in a common union, we are in one with Christ, we are in unity with Him. And that's what the communion means. But that's not the only word that Paul or anybody else, you know, for Jesus, this was just the, Lord, the, the, the Passover. You know, he didn't, he didn't name it anything. He just said, this is Passover. This is a new way of looking at the Passover. But Paul also, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty, 20, he calls it the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 10, 21, he calls it the Lord's Table. 
So, you know, what do you want to call it? But then also Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four calls it the Eucharist. That's the Greek word used for thanksgiving or thanks. And so we've seen the Catholic Church grab onto that. And they call the Eucharist. So, you know, potato to potato, tomato, tomato. <laughs> you know, call it, call it what you want. Just be reasonable about it. You know, don't call it football. That's already been chosen. You know, that's already been taken. You know, it's, it, but we have some guidance in the scripture. It's communion. It's Lord's Supper. It's Lord's Table. It's in my pastor at my home church now, he, uh, which we do take communion. He, he doesn't like communion. He likes Lord's Table. And he likes that because he, we should always be in communion with the Lord. We should always be in fellowship with him. We should never, never be separate from him. So he says, let's not use communion. Let's use Lord's table because that's a special time of coming together. So that's what we use. But, you know, whatever we want to call it, we're not here, we're not here to pick what people call things. We're just here. Here are some things that we do. Uh, how often do you take it? Well, I don't know. The Bible says, the only thing Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians is Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Some people have said, well, as often as I do Passover, that's once a year. What about Gentiles who don't celebrate Passover? Well, when the church first met, they met once a week, and they celebrated it once a week. Some people think you need to do it more often. Well, then it's kind of more, some people are doing it monthly. Some people do it quarterly. Some people do it once a year. Some people, it, 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 we don't have any time frame where the Bible says we need to do it. We just say, we say, we do it regularly. We want to do it regularly. Here at Connect, we want to do it regularly, and that might mean once every couple months or whatever that might mean, we, we do it regularly. And so we come and we, 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 be, we honor what is, we do it with joy and we do it with dignity and we do it regularly. Um, how do you do it? Uh, you know, I, used to, I, I, I loved when we would come forward and receive it and get a bread and get a cup and that was so cool. I, I, it's, it's taken me a little while to get used to what I call the snack pack version, you know, what you got today. I got to admit, it's, 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 it, it took me a little while to get used to that, especially before COVID, we, but we would do it because of large crowds and things like that needing to get through. But then also we would, uh, post-COVID, it's just sanitary, you know, to, to, more sanitary to do it. And so, so we do it that way. I remember, I remember the first time I was uh, in a service where everybody drank from one cup. I am a bit of a germaphobe. And I remember it, it was, it was an, we were in an Anglican church. Our son was a theology major, and he was, he was interning at, a, at, a, at an Anglican church. He invited us to a special service where he was going to participate. So we went, and they're there, and I noticed that we were all standing up to go forward, and I noticed everybody is drinking from the same cup, and there are no other cups. <laughs> you know? And I'm there, and I'm there. If I go up there and I take a sip with, any, with other people's backwash, I am going to... Oh, my. It was, uh, my stomach was, and it came to me, and I'm in my row, and I go, <laughs> I'll pass. <laughs> you, know? you know, so we do it different ways, you know, we, but, but that's the way we do it. We do it different ways. We have different methods, and, you know, we can use cracker or, 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 or bread or juice, and sometimes I had to use apple juice or whatever might be around, or sometimes I even had to use some other, uh, you know, maybe some Pepsi or something like that in cases where, I, where there's just nothing else, but we want to do it, you know. But, 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 you know, Jesus used what he had. He had the bread, and he had the wine. 
Use what we have. And who can serve? Who can serve? Well, some churches, clergy, you're only, you know, whoa, you know, only certain people can serve COVID. Um, here, you know, generally in a service like this where we have a lot of people, it's someone of some spiritual authority that would serve it. But that doesn't mean you can't. First Peter tells us that we are royal priesthood. We are a priesthood of believers. I, in my past church, when I was pastoring, I had an individual, and she was leading a Bible study at work. And she would tell me about it. And she was so excited because it was growing, and people were coming to know the Lord. And she came to me one day, and she says, Pastor, can I do communion? I said, oh, you bet. I said, let me give you the stuff. <laughs> you know, so I went, went to the closet, and I got it. You take this, and you do communion. And it was so exciting. My associate pastor at my last church, he started a thing at home where once a week their family around the table would have communion, and they would take turns, the children leading in the communion and sharing the bread and the, and the juice. And, and so, no, it doesn't, this isn't a, something that's reserved for any of the spiritual head honchos or anything like that. This is for you. It's for me. We all can do that. Um, who, may, who can receive communion? Well, some churches have a closed table. You have to be a member or something like that, you know. Uh, we're, we're not that way. We are an uh, open table. And you can come, and you can come, and you can be served. Uh, you know, we, we don't say you have to be a member. You can be your first time here this morning, first time Framingham, first time in TC, online. Maybe you're just tuning in. You can, you can do this today with us. Yeah. Now, the Bible does say we should be a believer. We should believe in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And, and actually, the Bible also says, gives us, Paul gives us a little advice in 1 Corinthians um, he, he mentions this in, in verse in 27. He says, So then, whoever eats the bread or the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So he says this, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. I would say this, Notice that it says examine yourself. <laughs> it doesn't say the pastor's going to examine you. And, you know, it's, I got I to gotta admit, sometimes I'm better at examining some other people than I am myself. <laughs> I'm a little more honest uh, or not as honest when I examine myself. Examine yourself. Uh, you know, come in a worthy manner. Come wanting and desiring to have communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people have used this as a reason to avoid communion. I'm not perfect. Well, here, here's the big idea today. I want you to get this, and it's up on the screen. It says this, communion is not... Get this, not for perfect people. It's for the hungry. Communion is not for perfect people. It's for the hungry. It's for the people who want more of Christ, the people who want to know about him, know, identify with his sufferings, the people who want him to speak into their lives. Communion is for hungry people. Say hungry with me. Hungry, yes. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm hungry. Uh, that's not the first time that's been said in church, I know. <laughs> yeah, we're hungry. We're hungry for Christ. You know, the blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I believe this morning it would be right to say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after the righteous one. We hunger and thirst after Christ. We want more of him in our lives. And Jesus calls us. He's not pushing you away when he says, examine yourself. He's not saying, don't come. He's saying, come. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, open the door. I will come in and I will dine with them. Yes, it's supper time with Jesus is what it's about. It's about having a relationship with him. It's about communing with him. It's about saying to him, I want more of you in my life. And I want to know you, and I want to know you more and more every day, and I want to experience you. Now, how, which brings us to the, maybe the last question, how do, what's, what happens, what's this experience about? 
And this has been argued about, unfortunately, for, for years and years and years. And, 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 and we just, well, let me just say, there's four views. Four views. Maybe you've heard of some of these. And if you've come from various backgrounds, you'll know more about, if you're Catholic, you might know this first one, transubstantiation. Okay, everybody say transubstantiation. transubstantiation. Now take, say it 10 times fast. No, don't. Transubstantiation, the, the Catholic view of this is that the elements, the bread and the wine, become the body of Christ. Actually, when you eat, you are actually eating the body of Christ. And they believe this, and they believe it because Jesus said, this is my body. So, that's, so there's a, there is a biblical reference to that, but they believe it actually becomes the body of Christ, and you are dining on that. Then there's another one, consubstantiation. That is just a little different. This was, this was uh, Martin Luther in, in, in talking about what this might be, and the, many Lutherans still adhere to this today, is that the, it doesn't become the body of Christ, but the body of Christ is present in or alongside the elements. So it is still bread and it's still wine, but the body of Christ is present within those. It's kind of like heat and coals. The coals are still there, but the heat is there, and the heat is alongside the coals. And so we have that view. Then we have a view with some other of the reformers came up with, and it was a view called a symbol, symbol view. That is, it's nothing symbolic. It's nothing more than a symbol. And you say, well, that might seem a little weak, but think how powerful symbols are. Think how powerful the symbol of the American flag is. Think how powerful the symbol of the cross is. So symbols are powerful. So it's, it's, this isn't just a weak version, but, it is, but it's a version held by some. But many today, in fact, maybe most Protestants uh, adhere to a, what we call a dynamic view of the communion. And that is, yes, the bread's still the bread, the juice or wine is still the juice or wine, but Christ becomes present in a very unique, powerful, and spiritual way. And when we believe, when we take these elements, we are not just taking bread and, and juice and nothing else is happening. But Christ's presence is arriving in a way that it, he doesn't maybe in different other occasions. He comes in a special way, and that's when we commune with him. And so there are all these things, and it gets so easy to get torn apart by the various methods and the various ways of interpreting how you do communion. And that's what I was studying. I was studying, so how do you do it? And I found out there isn't, a, there isn't a prescribed method in Scripture. There are directions. And we know when we come, we, we come and I just come back to this, take it joyfully and with dignity. I love what the uh, new uh, contemporary theologian, N.T. Wright, one of my favorites, he had to say this, this quote about the, all of this stuff. And this is referring to the early church. He says this, What mattered was that those who came to the Lord's Supper, or whatever you called it, in true faith really did feed on Christ. They really were nourished by the person, the presence, and the love of Jesus. How that happened, the theological chemistry of it, if you like, wasn't important and probably wasn't knowable either. You know, I, it's, it's, it's not important, the theological, all that understanding, because it really... It isn't knowable. You know, we don't know exactly how God moves. Are you okay with just a little mystery about God? I love 
not knowing everything about the Lord. I love that his ways are so far above my ways. Amen? I, know, I love that I cannot understand and comprehend the depths of any of his character. I love that he moves in ways that I have no idea how he did it. I love seeing a miracle performed and saying, I'm blown away. God moves and he does things in ways we don't understand. We don't, we don't comprehend. All we know is that when God says it, he'll do it. And when we see God do it, we give him the glory for it. Amen? So yes. And so God comes and he comes. So the question is this morning, what is knowable? And as we prepare, as we prepare to take the elements together this morning, what do we know? And guess what? I might tell you what I did that night, whether I took it or not. <laughs> I did. I took the elements that night, not knowing really exactly everything that was going on. But I determined there were a lot of good Christian friends around me, people from other denominations, other churches, and, and they, were, um, they were encouraging me. And I said, something I'm going to do, but I'm going to learn more about it. And here's some of the things I learned, and as we prepare here, if you haven't got, there are ushers here and at other campuses, there are folks who can give you your elements at home, good chance to grab it. But what do we know? Well, I can tell you we know some things. We connect. I, lo I love being part of Connect Church. You know, we exist to connect the disconnected. And so we, we want to connect people first to Jesus Christ and to our Lord. And so we know, first of all, that it's a time to remember right? It's a time to remember what Christ did for us. We remember the sacrifice he made. We, we, we don't talk about other things. We don't talk about the football game when we come. We don't talk about baseball. We don't talk about uh, whatever we might have done. Or we talk about Jesus, and we remember what he did for us, the sacrifice that he made, the pain that it caused, and what my sin led him to do. You know, when, when I was getting ready to leave uh, Willoughby, uh, suburb of Cleveland, and come here, uh, uh, good friends of ours, very dear friends of ours, took us to dinner. Uh, their names are Bill and June. Uh, June is 98 years old, and I had the privilege five years ago of baptizing June in the Jordan River, and that was so, that was so marvelous. Took her out of her wheelchair, baptized her in the Jordan River, and oh, it, was, it was great. And Bill's her son, and they're dear friends of ours, and they took us out to dinner. And we were having a great conversation. June is a wonderful lady. And uh, we're having this conversation, and uh, we're talking, and, and I says, I, finally, I said, June, uh, June, when I get to Massachusetts, when I get to my new church, I am going to tell everybody about June Fainrich. I'm going to tell everybody about you. And she, and before that sentence got out of my mouth, before it got out of my mouth, she goes, no, no, tell him about Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, did she just put this preacher in his place? <laughs> tell him about Jesus. Tell him about what he's done. Tell him about his goodness. Tell him about his graciousness. Tell him about how he's brought us out of whatever we were in. Tell us whatever he's done in our lives that has, that has given us victory. Remember that cross. I, there's a song we used to sing when I was, I was a hymn leader, I was a worship leader, and back in the days of when we sang hymns, I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I want to tell that story over and over and over again. Don't forget it. 
Don't forget what Jesus has done for us. But it's not just the past. It's the present. What is Jesus doing for us today? We exist to connect the disconnected today. Jesus, this whole book is about God trying to connect back with us. Genesis, Revelation, God calling us to him. And once we come, he says, come to me, come to me, and we connect with him. And once we do that, we have been given this beautiful sacrament to say, Lord, I want to connect with you. I want to connect with you in this unique and powerful way. Finally, we look forward to the future. Jesus said, this isn't the end. I'm coming again. We heard that two weeks ago from Pastor Derek. He is coming again. He's coming again. And, and Paul says in 1, Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 11, 26, he's quoting Jesus, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim it until the Lord's death. Do it again and again and again. Don't stop until he comes again. And we will proclaim it. Paul was not saying this is a good preaching topic. He's saying when we proclaim it, we proclaim it to the powers. We proclaim it to the principalities, to, the, to those unseen forces. We proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has won the victory through the cross. He is Lord. He has won the victory through the cross. Proclaim that over and over again. Satan knows it. We know it. The world knows it. Jesus is Lord and he is victory. He is the victor. So I took it that day, and I take it again today gladly. I take it with joy, and I take it in reverence and in dignity. So I'm going to ask you if you would take your, what you've been given. Now the, the bread is in the bottom, and we're going to take them one at a time. So if you can take and undo the bread... And I'm just going to give you just a second to say, Lord, I want, to, I want to come this morning hungry. I want to come hungry to you. I want to come hungry. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. And if you have your cups ready, according to the scripture, this was the cup, the third, probably the third cup of four cups that they would drink at the Passover meal. It was the cup right after dinner, and it was called the cup of redemption. It was the cup of redemption. The people of Israel being redeemed out of the land. This is our cup of redemption. Jesus Christ and what his blood did for us. In fact, Paul says in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen and amen. We're going to dismiss our campuses now. Thank you for being with us today. We love you. And for those here in the room, how hungry are you? How hungry are you for the Lord? Do you know him this morning? If you don't know him, if you're saying, this is all new to me, I don't know. I've come here this morning with a, with a need in my heart. I've come here searching. I've come here hungry. I didn't know what I was hungry for. This is your day. This is the day to say, Lord, come. 
come and speak to me. Come and save me. And Lord, this is the time where we invite you to know him. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Just bow your heads, everybody. Don't look around. And if today is a day where you say, yes, I, I, I am accepting the Lord as my Savior. I, I accept the sacrifice he made. I, I want to, as we learned last week, to accept him, to believe on him, to confess my need for him. Today is that day. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand in a second, to let us know, to make a declaration. It's only going to be me and you and uh, no one looking around. Is there anybody this morning who says, today is the day. Can you have your hand for those Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you in the back. Thank you. Anyone else? Today is the day. I receive the Lord as my Savior. Thank you. Yes. We're going to say a prayer together. And this is going to be a prayer that we all say. I'm going to ask everybody so nobody prays alone. You just pray after me these words. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the love that you've poured out upon us. I thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. And I thank you, Lord, that today I have received you as my Lord. That you have forgiven my sin. And I have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your graciousness. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen and amen.